to Maritime AgCast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events. Today, we will be joined by Trevor Davidson and Thomas Harrington to discuss the Environmental Farm Plan and Agri-Environmental Program in Nova Scotia. Trevor grew up on a mixed commercial farm in Falmouth, Nova Scotia, where his family continues to have beef cattle, orchard, and field crops. After graduating from the NSAC with his pest management degree, Trevor worked for Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Kentville and an agricultural research company before joining the Nova Scotia Environmental Farm Plan Program in 2004. He enjoys being able to talk to farmers across the province and see how they do things on their operations. Though the EFP program is an educational one, Trevor often feels he learns as much from farmers as they do from him, which he feels makes him a better coordinator. Having grown up on a farm, it becomes a part of who you are, and Trevor wanted to find a way to contribute to the industry. Thomas is an agro-environmental specialist with Perennia. His primary role is to help with the implementation of the new agro-environmental program for the Nova Scotian farmers in partnership with the Nova Scotia Federation of Agriculture and Nova Scotia Department of Agriculture. Thomas has a Bachelor of Science in Agriculture from Dalhousie's Faculty of Agriculture, where he majored in Integrated Environmental Management. After graduating, he worked in a wild blueberry production and research in Nova Scotia. Before joining Perennia, he worked on Prince Edward Island in precision agriculture product sales and support, focusing on machine GPS guidance systems and data management. Thomas is also a certified crop advisor and has experience with UAVs to collect crop imagery. Thomas joined Perennia last August in 2020 and is looking forward to working with the agriculture industry in Nova Scotia to reduce environmental risks. So I'd like to welcome Trevor and Thomas to Maritime AgCast. Thanks for being with us today, gentlemen. Trevor, maybe we'll start with you. Uh, it's my understanding that the Nova Scotia Environmental Farm Plan Program has been around for 20 plus years here in Nova Scotia. Can you just give us a, a really brief elevator version of what the EFP program is and what it looks like? Sure, and just want to say thanks for having me, but yeah, the program's been around, like you said, 20 years. Uh, it started out with one coordinator and an agricultural engineer, and it's grown over time and then shrunk down here in the last little bit too. But um, the goal is to work with farmers on farm to address environmental issues. We spend some time talking to them in advance, go through a bunch of questions. And uh, then the most important part is that walkabout around the farm property to assess issues and risks and uh, provide a report back to them after that. The hope is that that we can help them address issues. It always has been focused around water protection, so it's always been kind of a water focus, but in the last few years we have tried to expand the content to cover some more issues as well. So looking more at kind of biodiversity, species at risk. So thanks Brad, I'm happy to be here. The Agri-Environmental Program was launched last year and it is a partnership between Perennia, the Nova Scotia Federation of Agriculture, and the Nova Scotia Department of Agriculture. The vision for this program is really for Nova Scotia to be a leader in agri-environmental sustainability by delivering a program that aims to reduce environmental risk on farm, increase public trust and expand market access. And so Perennia's role in this program is really in the research, resource development and information sharing components. So um, things like developing research proposals, updating fact sheets, webinars, just general extension work and that sort of thing. So my, my understanding is that the Nova Scotia EFP program, Trevor, is a little bit different than other provincial EFP programs, and we're one of the few that actually, or maybe the only one that actually goes out and has uh, specialized coordinators like yourself uh, to go out and farm and work directly with producers where other provinces are more workbook based. Is that true? 
historically, yes. Uh, and we started out, that was the first kick of the can for us was a kind of copied the, the Ontario workbook method and, and started using that here, adapted it for kind of Nova Scotia industries and production. But we found that farmers didn't participate in the workshops and kind of getting them to do the self-assessment. There wasn't great uptake and farmers didn't necessarily understand the risks that they were trying to assess. So fairly early on in the process, we switched to a, a kind of a one-on-one coordinator to go up to the farm, spend some time with the farmer, go through those questions and, and do it that way. Other provinces have stuck with kind of the workbook method. There are more provinces now that are have a bit of a both that the farmer does a portion, but then they also work with a coordinator. But But I think we probably at least... For the longevity of the program, we've been kind of doing that on-farm piece individually, one-on-one, more than the other provinces, yes. So as a farmer, what's the benefit of participating in the Environmental Farm Plan program? The biggest benefit is just to be aware of what their environmental risks on the farm are. As I mentioned before, it was always kind of water-focused. In the early days, we were taking water tests for the farm, so we were providing them with actual water test results that we could discuss with them. We've kind of phased that out of the program here recently as more on-farm food safety programs have taken on that responsibility. But it really is just the kind of the acknowledgement and awareness of what potential risks are. A lot of times they might be doing something they don't really realize the potential risks of, of doing a particular practice the way they are. When when it's been a, a generational farm, that's just the way it's been done. And, and having kind of a, a third party come in and provide some insight, uh, it just raises more awareness to things that, that they didn't necessarily see as a risk. The other benefit to it, since the early or probably mid-2000s, there is a cross-compliance piece with the Department of Agriculture funding program. So if farmers do want to access funding through the Soil and Water Sustainability Program or the Small Farm Accelerator Program. Uh, it is a kind of a prerequisite for those funding programs as well. That also helps. One, one of the things that I appreciate a lot about the EFT program is the resources that uh, the program and the coordinators and folks like Thomas you have been able to create over the last 20 years, uh, whether it's fact sheets, workshops. Can you expand a little bit about on those and um, you know how those will be updated? Maybe even particularly as farming practices change and maybe some expectations from uh, the public change related to uh, agri-environmental solutions. Sure. So sort of the launch of the program, one of the first tasks was really to take a look at what resources are, are out there. And uh, on the EFP page in particular, there's a great list of resources there. And, and some of them have kind of been updated over the years and, and some of them really haven't been looked at in, in a little while. So that was kind of the first task of the program is to identify where we're, we're lacking in agri-environmental resources and, and where some of these fact sheets and guidebooks and things like that need to be updated. So yeah, we kind of identified some priorities there in, in areas where we were lacking in information and we've just started that process and we've um, updated some some fact sheets. We recently put out one on overseeding pastures and for example, in that fact sheet, it originally didn't have a lot of information on some of the environmental benefits and that sort of thing. So that's been part of the program too, is identifying things that could be a great best management practice and maybe elaborate on some of the environmental benefits of, of, of some of these practices. With a program that's been around for a couple of decades now, what type of participation rates do we see from across the industry and across the province? We've always had really good uptake with the program. I think the fact that it is the kind of education-based kind of farmer-to-farmer support that the farmers are interested in and want to participate. I think a lot of it too, just farmers talking and there always is that little bit of initial apprehension when you're new to the program, but typically more often than not, your neighboring farm has probably had their EFP already. So it's usually just a conversation to say like, how'd it go? What was it like? And 
can get some pretty good reviews and recommendations that way. So overall from the industry, we're probably, I would say 75 to 80% of farms in Nova Scotia have an environmental farm plan at this point. With the dairy industry, their ProAction program, it's kind of been built into the environmental module of that program to have an EFP. So we've already had, historically, we had really good uptake from the dairy industry. They were probably our kind of highest rated commodity that would participate. And they were up in that probably 95, 96% of, of dairy farms already had an EFP anyway. So, so even the transition to the environmental module hasn't been that big of an issue for that industry. But, uh, but no, it's it's been really good and a good process and, and uh, good partnerships developed. Yeah, Trevor, I'm, I'm glad you you brought up the fit with some on-farm food safety programs like the Pro Action Program and Verified Beef Production Plus. You know, I think these are components that have been added into those programs really over the last three or four years of, as they've been uh, redeveloped and, and updated. Can you comment or either one of you comment a little bit more about the fit with those programs and uh, whether or not you see participation in one program driving participation in the other program or vice versa? Yeah, as part of this kind of the whole transition to the, the AEP program, we had some kind of internal conversations that, that we want to make sure that, that we are making our program and kind of revising our program to meet the needs of industry. And so we did a kind of an industry survey here probably a year or two ago now, I guess, just to sort of assess kind of where the EFP fits. And were there any commodity specific issues that we weren't addressing or that needed to be addressed and, and to identify the kind of the on-farm programs that each industry might have on their own that we could better fit with. So between environmental farm plans and nutrient management plans and your management plans and all those sorts of things that we want to make sure that we weren't overburdening the farmer with an extra layer of, of documentation and asking the same questions multiple times. So we're trying to, to work with those other industries and, and find a way that we can streamline our processes to make everybody's program work better. And, and whether it is the verified beef or the proaction or whatever it might be, that I think it's it's nice to to have that industry support and recognition that the EFP program is valuable. And uh, I think we're certainly open to more conversations as to how we can better tweak our program to meet industry needs for those that don't have an industry program at this point. So just wondering too, um, you know, I think part of what I always like to focus on is a little bit of farm management and risk management. How do you see this or participation in the EFP program or some of the other agro-environmental solutions as part of a whole farm business risk management tool? I think it just plays that part. I mean, there's the financial piece, obviously, that's important. And that's probably the biggest issue with the environmental farm plan. Some of the recommendations we make is, is coming up with that financial investment to, to support the recommendations that, that we are making. Simple as simple as a, a new fuel tank. It, we recommend it be replaced and, and kind of upgrades around those sorts of things. But that's an expense to the farm, but it doesn't put any more money back in the farmer's pocket. When the when the day is done so it's it's a bit of a hard sell on some things just to to do it for the just the general environmental sustainability for the industry but i think just with the current sort of climate and and kind of public pressures farmers are more and more aware of that importance of that environmental piece and i think that's just one more kind of piece of the pie that farmers are recognizing that they they have to, to keep on top of and, and maintain to keep their farm functional yeah and i think the Ag environmental program hopes to kind of tie the whole system together when providing information to, to farmers on emerging issues and if there are certain topics that there needs to be more research done locally we're hoping to tack, tackle some of those things and, and sort of address some of the, the real on-farm issues that people are are seeing so um yeah we're, we're hoping to, to take a look at some of that stuff and provide as much information 
as possible because I think everyone knows farmers want to do the right thing. They want to they want to make their operations as environmentally friendly as possible. So whatever we can do to provide tools and resources and information to help people make those decisions they need to do, I think is, is part of the goal of the program. I just was also going to mention that the Nova Scotia Department of Agriculture, that soil and water sustainability program that I mentioned before, that they've identified and sort of incentivized some some water related projects this year. And in the past, they've incentivized, um, like provided additional incentives to what uh, was a, a fuel storage program. And I think there's also some some new uh, federal money through that agricultural climate solutions program coming that I think there are more opportunities to, to do farm scale sort of investments and activities on farms that, that will help further provide more information around some of these things and, and guide farmers in the in the right direction to make some of these changes. So yeah, really good point there around the ability to use um, or have producers participate in some sort of demonstration of new practices and best management practices. Just wondering how you incorporate that and then how you get that information outside of fact sheets uh, back out to the rest of the farmer population. Yeah, I think traditionally fact sheets have, have kind of been the way information has been shared, but where there's there's so many more tools now like like podcasts like this and, and webinars and, and videos and blogs and all that sort of thing. I think we're tr really trying to to use all those avenues as much as possible because I think every every producer likes to access information a little bit differently. Like it, it's different now where you're not necessarily going to walk into an office and pick up a fact sheet. Maybe you might want to check out a blog once in a while or if you're on Twitter or if you like to listen to podcasts while you're out doing field work. So I think Prenny has been been doing a great job lately to try and hit all those avenues and, and get information to producers in whatever way they like to, to access it. So I think we're still, I think fact sheets are still a great tangible resource to have, but um, I think combining that with a, a associated webinar or, or whatever other type of information sharing platform, I think is, is the way to do it. I think try to, yeah, just hit all those different avenues. And pre COVID the, it seems like such a long time ago now, but just the, the field day or the, like the, the on-farm little workshop, those sorts of events. Like that's one of the greatest benefits of having Brenia as part of this AEP program for EFP is their access to those, the industry commodity specialists and their experience with, with doing those field days and workshops and, and garnering those crowds. And, and I think that's really good for us from the environmental piece is that there's a lot of production issues that need to be addressed, but on the same side that it's important to have those environmental pieces either addressed on their own or as part of a commodity specific um, initiative, but I think if we can get back to to those events sometime here, hopefully in the relatively near future, that, that just having farmers together and talking and and seeing those demonstrations and talking about the pros and cons, and that's a great way for for farmers to learn as well. Yeah, and I agree with that, Trevor. And I think that is something that it, it is tough to to replicate those virtually, and and that's some of the, the feedback we got from some of our webinars is people kind of miss the introduction where you just kind of mill the boat and, and chat with some of your your neighbors and, and that sort of thing but i think yeah there's definitely no substitute for those on-farm uh demos where you can just just chat and, and get ideas and, and uh, just share information that way here are upcoming events brought to you by dalhousie university faculty of agriculture dalhousie's faculty of agriculture is educating the next generation of farmers our students learn to solve real-world problems in a friendly, hands-on environment from professors who are leaders in their fields of study. Dow researchers have access to cutting-edge technology, labs, and resources. Whether it's applying genetics to improve livestock, 
working with producers to engineer more efficient blueberry harvesters, or designing smarter Christmas trees, Dal Agriculture is driving the innovation that makes our farming community stronger. Learn more. Visit dal.ca slash agriculture. The Nova Scotia cattle producers are introducing on-farm preconditioning pilot project in mid-2022, where cattle preconditioning services will be available to members on-farm. Please visit nscattle.ca forward slash precondition for more information. Upcoming Atlanta stockyard sales, regular feeder sales occur every second Tuesday throughout the winter, the next one occurring March 17th. Please check atlanticstockyards.com for the full schedule. The Ballamore Farm Limited Thickness Cells Bull and Heifer Sale will be held on March 19th at Ballamore Farm in Great Village. More information is available at ballamorefarmltd.com or their Facebook page. The 49th Annual Maritime Beef Testing Society Breeding Stock Sale will occur April 2nd online via DLMS and in person. Please visit maritimebeeftestation.ca for additional information. In programs, the Nova Scotia cattle producers have two programs available for 2022, the Nova Scotia Genetic Improvement Program and the Nova Scotia Soil Pasture and Forage Management Program. Additional information can be found at nscattle.ca. There are many Nova Scotia programs open for 2022. For a complete list, as well as applications and guidelines, please visit novascotia.ca forward slash programs. Yeah, what, one of the things anybody that listens to a lot of our episodes will, will know that I think the industry in general has a really good working relationship with the perennial specialists, whether it's, you know, folks like Thomas or Jonathan or Heather, who we've had on here before, you know, and I think that goes a long way in collaboration and the fact that we're not out there trying to compete with each other on, on some of the information and education for producers. And you're right. I know, you know, visiting somebody else's farm, you might be there to learn one thing, but you're going to learn lots of other things while you're there. Um, you know, whether or not it's a animal handling practice or, you know, just looking at a new piece of gear that you might walk by that in-person on-farm uh, workshop, I think is kind of where you, you'll learn by seeing and learn by doing for sure. One other point, just as part of the EFP program itself. And one of the, the great parts of that one-on-one with the farmer and being on the farm is that myself and Corey as coordinators that that we get that opportunity to, to see and talk. And there's been so many examples of seeing something on one farm and then you go to do another farm and they're like, I'm having an issue with this, or I don't know how I should handle this, or I'm thinking about doing this. And you're like, well, I was just at another farm and I should put you in touch with this guy because he just did that. And and just those opportunities to, to have that networking opportunity and to go see what somebody else is doing. I think whether it is in a group or whether it's just a one-on-one and kind of recognizing that network of farms that. We have a, a wide diversity of, of farms in the province and, and sizes and all that sort of thing, but it's pretty common that someone else has at least tried something similar to, to what you might be envisioning. So it's it's great having the participation in the program and that access to knowledge and people that you can direct other people to. So let's let's go back to the public a little bit. So Trevor, you said, you know, historically this was kind of a, a water protection and, and water monitoring program, but has recently evolved a little bit more to things like biodiversity and species at risk. And, um, you know, I think that's a little bit based on our overall environmental outlook as a population. Um, can you talk a little bit about how those changes came about and how they get integrated? And, you know, maybe even particularly, you know, how farmers are responding to making some of those changes if they're needed related to uh, biodiversity and uh, minor species? 
Well, we've always had a good relationship with the Nova Scotia Department of Lands and Forestry and her Department of Natural Resources back in the day. And they've had an agricultural biodiversity conservation plan program. So um, in the early days, it was Reg Newell. More recently, it's Peter Austin Smith that will go. They do a very similar program to, to EFP, just not on the, they don't do the kind of the volume of farms, but probably 10 to 15 farms a year, they'll go out and, and do that walkabout around the property and do an assessment of the biodiversity and kind of some riparian area assessments and that sort of thing. And, and we've always promoted and encouraged farmers to participate in that. So as part of our conversations, if farms are, are interested in that, that's been a great resource for us to pass them along. And, and whereas we're there on the farm for a few hours, like I know um, Reg or Peter, I mean, in some cases, they'll spend days uh, on a farm to, to do that full assessment. So it is a, a very comprehensive piece for them. So that biodiversity piece is good. And, and but I, as much as we've relied on the lands and forestry piece, I think it's important for us to incorporate that expertise within our own program and, and to be able to have those conversations just one-on-one -on -one with the farmer to build that relationship. The Biodiversity Act went through the legislature here not that long ago, but there was a, a lot of Kind of fear and concern around the implementation and and how that was brought about and and i think it's important that's to me was just a good sign that we need to spend a little bit more time um, on that piece as part of the program to uh, to better educate producers as to the implications if there are going to be any um, of those sorts of things but but also raise awareness of the value of providing that habitat so for some of the species at risk the agricultural landscape is kind of one of the last remaining kind of habitats for some of these species so there is a, a bit of a duty from for the producer to to maintain that habitat on the farm for these species so recognizing the personal kind of on-farm value of it but also recognizing the greater social implications of it i think it's probably a piece that that we do need to spend a little bit more time on so one of, one of the last categories we'll talk a little bit about here is tracking progress over time, right? So it's it's been a program that's been around for a couple of decades and sounds like we have great participation. So how do we know how much progress we've made either as individual farmers or as an industry when it comes to uh, environmental uh, improvements or changes or upgrades and how we manage some of those risks? That's a great question. And that's one that we've been working with Kind of more recently here within our own program because as part of that process like the EFP is updated every um, every five years so with a 20-year-old program we've had farms that have that have gone through it three and four and some will be approaching their kind of fifth visit for an update and we've generally been tracking we have all our information in the database but typically most of the information is just kind of that farm by farm progression we do have the capacity to kind of analyze the data on a larger scale and based on the risk ratings we've provided we can start to pull out some of that Kind of risk rating information whether it's kind of geographically or quantity specific but we do recognize that that is an area that kind of from a performance indicator aspect of things that that we do need to do a little bit more work on uh, we have a database project going on right now where we're looking to revise and update we've already gone through the the question side of things we've tweaked our questions some but now just the way in which we document and the information that we're recording where we are looking to be able to better tease out some of that information as far as how we are doing on a on a provincial scale i know we kind of engaged thomas as, as part of that process too to help us figure out some of these key performance indicators and we can pull some of that information from the previous data but we're also looking to strengthen that for future visits and future program needs yeah, and that actually is one of the like our priorities of the Ag Environmental Program is to define where we are as an industry in terms of environmental sustainability. And it's it's definitely it's a tough thing to do because 
environmental problems are there's they're very complex and there's a lot of factors that, that go into them. So yeah, we're kind of looking at what we can do to establish a baseline really or or see what progress we've made or haven't made on, on different issues. So um, we've kind of begun the process of a bit of a, a jurisdictional review to see what other provinces are doing in, in other countries for assessing agri-environmental sustainability. I think ideally we'd have some sort of report card sort of developed or, or some sort of dashboard to kind of see where we line up um, in terms of biodiversity and habitat and soil and water. But I think that's kind of where we're at now is trying to find how do we measure those problems or how do we measure those uh, those indicators. And the EFP is, is definitely a great resource where they're on farm, but there's some challenges there where, as Trevor said, the re- revisit rate is, is typically five years. There's really good data from Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada um, puts out agri-environmental indicator series, but that's also, they're only updated every five years and they're sort of broad strokes, very general data for each province. So we're trying to look at different ways that we can either better utilize some of the information gathered from EFP to to see what progress has been made. And and also I'm I'm very interested in seeing how we can integrate things like GIS and remote sensing. And um, there's really great things you can do with satellite imagery now as that's progressing that we could get sort of up-to-date and real-time information for example, looking at soil erosion risk on farms, or maybe we can do some sort of riparian assessments with remote sensing and that sort of thing. So I think there's definitely potential there to, to get some really powerful agri-environmental indicators. And I'm really looking forward to, to working on that project and seeing where we can go with it. And just to follow up on that comment there, that over the last couple of years, Corey Roberts, the other environmental farm planner that I work with, he's had a kind of an interest in the GIS side of things for a little while. And we recognize that that is kind of where we need to move to. We're just trying to figure out how to get there within our program. But over the last couple of years, we have started tracking the PIDs, like the PID numbers for the farm. So we are at least going to be able to geographically be able to better represent kind of the land base that that we are working with through the EFP program and uh, be able to start to look at, at some of those issues or concerns more in a geospatial manner. The other piece, just as, as far as kind of the risk ratings and, and those sorts of things that historically, we were just providing risk ratings towards, since it was a kind of a water focused program, it was kind of the risk towards surface and groundwater contamination. And we've also recognized that we need to kind of broaden that evaluation to more of a kind of a sustainability index because there are certain environmental issues that there really is no direct impact to surface or groundwater, but it's a, an issue that's from a farm sustainability situation that it is something that we should be kind of tracking a little bit better. These are all parts of the conversation we're having with Thomas and our of advisory groups to figure out how we can better make the program a little more comprehensive and come up with those indicators that that everybody would like to have to be able to to look to. I think part of that too is just looking at where we where we aren't currently collecting data. I I worked in PEI for a number of years and I think they've done a great job in certain areas. For example, they've got a long-term soil monitoring program across the province that they've had in place for for 20 years and um, they've done great job on some other long-term monitoring projects. So I think part of that too is identifying if we need to start monitoring some of those things and doing some long-term sampling, like where where would be the best places to start where we don't have that historically, but now might be a great time to start a project like that if possible so that we, we really know where, where we stand on some of these issues. Yeah. So one of the other things that just kind of popped in my mind is I sometimes I get down the the rabbit hole of Google Maps and searching out places and, you know, kind of triggers that, you know, technology has changed significantly 
um, over even the last five years, let alone the last 20 years since the program has developed. And you guys are talking about things like GPS and GIS and uh, spatial mapping that we probably weren't talking about because it was so arduously laborsome 20 years ago that are so easy to do now. And, you know, how has that affected delivery of the program and maybe even some of the practice changes on farm with things like auto steer and precision farming? Yeah, I'll jump in on, on that a little bit. Um, yeah, my background actually is, is a little bit in precision agriculture. So I, I've dealt quite a bit with some of the technologies that are out there on farm. Yeah, and GPS, for example, is like a really good basic way that you can start reducing some of your inputs. I think they estimate that if you switch from a manually steering system to a, an auto steer GPS-based system that you can usually reduce your input costs by, by 10 to 15%. And that's just because you're not overlapping as much in the field, you have reduced fuel costs because you're not overlapping your tillage equipment, you're reducing your overlap of your sprayers and your fertilizer applicators and, and everything basically. So just at a real basic level, there's definitely some um, some good environmental benefits from, from that type of system by just reducing your input costs. But then there's also things like you can outline sensitive areas of your field using GPS equipment. So if there's a, a, a waterway or something like that, you can you can record that into your system and have a sprayer potentially shut off before you get to that area or just have a, a, a warning pop up on the screen if you're spreading fertilizer or something like that, like that to say don't don't go beyond this point. It's not not necessarily super complicated, but it's very accessible and, and easy for a farmer to use and there's real immediate benefits to integrating a system like that. Or there's also things you could do with Rate controllers that can really dial in the accuracy of your application so that you know exactly what you're putting on the field. It's not like you calibrate the sprayer at the beginning of the year and, and hope that it holds the calibration throughout the season. You, you know exactly in real time what your application rate is as, as you're applying. So yeah, I think the technology, there's there's some really great environmental benefits that we're they're seeing right now in farm. And even on the EFP side, like especially during COVID, and we were limited and, and not able to travel, just the ability to have a conversation with a farm and pull up, even if it was just as simple as a Google Maps or the Provincial Landscape Viewer to start overlaying some of the other like wetland layers or watercourse layers or that sort of thing on the maps that it's surprising in the last kind of few years how much the technology can help. It doesn't replace the on-farm visit, but it certainly gets you close to be able to have a, a reasonable conversation with the farmer and feel like you have a pretty good sense of what's going on on the farm and farm property. So it's Certainly an area, like I say, that's, that we recognize is something that we want to, to work towards. And, and we're just going to be accumulating all those data layers and that sort of information to help us build that into the program. And Thomas's help on the EIS and I guess even talking some drone activity and that sort of thing that I think there's there's all kinds of opportunities that we can have some real benefits to being able to look at and assess things that, that we probably couldn't have done five or 10 years ago. And technology seems to be changing at a rapid rate. So even some of the satellite technology that was too costly even a few years ago is, is becoming more reasonable in, in price now. So all these things are moving towards being able to provide better, and in some cases, almost real-time data to farmers that, that can only help the situation. It definitely seems, especially you know, back to the Google Maps bit and being able to kind of map out a farm and see what it looks like, it seems as if that aerial photography is much more current than it used to be. Like it seems like those maps are almost being updated quarterly in, in some high population areas 
almost monthly. So, you know, we use it a lot uh, in some of our work, just kind of in finding farms and knowing where they are and their, their general scale before we go out to visit. So, you know, not necessarily new technology that the Google Maps technology is old now, but even just the, the ability to update it more constantly, I think helps us, us all in, in interacting. And I don't know how many virtual farm tours I've been on over the last eight or 10 months, but even connecting with farmers, like you say, Trevor, I got a 20 minute video from a guy the other day that took me on a tour of his farm from the driveway right through to uh, when the cattle leave the farm. It, it's amazing now where that never would have happened probably even two years ago. And even, I mean, like you say, the, the imagery, we're having less and less issues with it being kind of out of date, but even for some of the core situations that we want to address, so like maybe it doesn't show that newest barn or the maybe one field that they cleared, but at least it does give you that sense. I mean, topography generally doesn't change and, and you can still see all those kind of water courses and wetlands and those sorts of kind of primary features that, that we're looking to assess and kind of get a handle on in the first place. So the upgrades and imagery certainly won't um, hurt anything and will certainly help us do our work better. But even with the technology we have now, I think there's good opportunities to incorporate that into the program. Yeah, I think we're really, uh, we're really lucky in the province to have access to good quality GIS layers for, for water courses and, and, and LIDAR that we can use for topography and, and things like that. And I think we're really looking at yeah, how we can incorporate that into the FP or the AEP program to develop these indicators, like you mentioned before, whether we can look at slope risk areas or soil erosion risks for certain parts of the province that maybe could be identified as higher risk or lower risk for different uh, issues for soil erosion example or, or something else. Here's the market report brought to you by Atlantic Stockyards Limited. Atlantic Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central Canada. Livestock auctions occur every Thursday with cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, rabbits and poultry all featured. Additional information, such as previous market reports, feeder sale dates and vaccination forms can be found on AtlanticStockyards.com. For the weekend at March 11th, 2022, in the local hog market, base price in Nova Scotia was $2.38 per kilogram, up 2.3 cents from last week. In Ontario, base price was up 2.3 cents from last week to $2.29 per kilogram. In the Quebec market, base price was $2.36 per kilogram, up 2.9 cents from last week. On the cattle side, fed cattle price at Atlantic Beef Products remains constant at $2.83 on the rail. In Ontario, live steers sold for $1.68, moving up two cents from last week. And in Quebec, rail price was $2.97, up four cents from last week. Call cattle Atlantic stockyards sold for $0.79, cents, no change from the prior week. While rail price Atlantic beef, set, beef products was $1.71, up 10 cents from last week. Calls in Ontario average $0.86, cents, up five cents from last week, and $0.81 cents Quebec, moving up four cents. Good dairy bob calves between 90 and 120 pounds Atlantic stockyards averaged $41, moving down $42. And good dairy beef bob calves averaged $282, up $44 from last week. Meanwhile, calves in Ontario were down 18 cents to a price of 206 per pound. And calves in Quebec were 217, an increase of 20 cents per pound. Base price for lambs at Northumberland is $14.20 per kilogram and mutton sits at $6.50 per kilogram. 50 to 64 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards average 308 per pound at 55 pounds, ranging from 285 to 330. And 80 to 94 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards average 325 per pound at 
86 pounds ranging from 315 to 335. In Ontario, 50 to 64 pound lambs average 450 per pound at 59 pounds, ranging from 260 to 505. 65 to 79 pound lambs average 428 per pound at 72 pounds, ranging from 360 to 462. Use at Atlantic stockyards range from 130 to $290, averaging 235. And in Ontario, use average 204 at 150 pounds and range from $1 to 329. Make sure you check the association websites for additional pricing information. Maybe one of the last topic areas that I'd like to maybe touch on is climate adaptation and climate change and how we can use iron um, farm EFPs to help inform us and, and change practices related to climate change. So uh, just a little bit of background. So the sheep folks and, and cattle folks are engaged in the climate adaptation program with Perenni and the Department of Agriculture and Department of Environment. And, um, you know, we're partway through and it's been a, a big learning experience for all of us involved. Um, so how do you see participation in things like EFP as individual farms and uh, as an industry helping us guide or move towards some uh, adaptations to climate change as an industry? It's a good question. I know my colleague, Corey, I think he is sitting in on those meetings and conversations with the sheep producers and cattle producers. So I know he's bringing back some, some information as to how we can address some of that stuff better. But I think just being out with farmers and mentioned before that there is that new agricultural climate solutions program from Make Canada, funding there for on-farm demonstrations of climate adaptation, carbon sequestration, all those sorts of things. So I really like the practical side of that, of getting it out and, and it being a farm scale kind of design and program to, to implement these proposed changes. And I think it's incumbent on the EFP program just to be aware of kind of what these areas and issues are and be able to have those conversations with farmers and, and to take that feedback kind of from the farmer and bring it, Federation is putting in the proposal for that funding. And I think that's, uh, we're the boots on the ground with the farmer to help inform the Federation on, on some of those issues and concerns. So I think EFP learns from the farmer and then and in turn, we try to learn and like with Thomas doing the jurisdictional reviews and that sort of thing that we don't always have to come up with the ideas on our own. If we can take something from another area, like I know Ontario is doing all kinds of work and, and BC is doing a lot of work in the West and Quebec, uh, they just added in a kind of a climate change module to their EFP program. So um, that is kind of one of the additional add-ons that uh, we hope to be able to, to bring online with the EFP program is kind of that climate mitigation, climate adaptation component to our program, because it hasn't been probably a, a core piece of the program to this point, but it is one of those recognitions that, that we have to be looking at as how we can adapt and adjust and change and, and even just conserve. Like we are a, have been a water-focused program, but, but just making sure that we're using our water resources um, responsibly and efficiently and looking at opportunities for better water conservation. And so whether that is better soil moisture monitoring or the incorporation of cover crops or mulching or any of those sorts of things. It just, if we can hold the precipitation water in the field and not have to pull it out of a water course or a well, then, then we'll be that much further ahead too. It is an area that we are certainly interested in and, and hope to participate in. And But ultimately, I mean, a lot of that information we hope is from a project standpoint that we get some direction from the farmers themselves. That they're the ones that are seeing the, the issues firsthand and, and we want to be able to take those concerns and turn that into a a project and test some theories to, to see what can work for the future. I think part of it too is when you talk about climate change and climate adaptation to a producer, like they're, those are big, big issues and, and big problems. And I think if you start talking to a producer about 
this management practice can sequester this many tons of CO2, I think it becomes a, a hard concept to wrap your head around a little bit. And so I think part of it is to re relate these topics back to how they can benefit you on farm, but also be a benefit environmentally or for climate change as well. So whether that's incorporating cover crops into your rotation where they're there's great potential to sequester carbon, or maybe that's restoring and enhancing a wetland on, on your property that can enhance biodiversity, but also have the, the co-benefit of uh, sequestering carbon. So I think that really is going to be an important part of this whole program is to make these practices practical on farm and so that people can see real results and, and benefits locally as, as well as enhancing these, these bigger, bigger global, I guess, impacts for climate change. So Thomas, one of the big parts of the agri-environmental program with Perennia is developing and, and delivering research projects. Can you maybe give us a little bit of a highlight on, on a couple of projects that you have either on the go or that you're looking to get up and established? Sure. Kind of the big one we're looking at right now, I've been working with uh, our, our non-rumen specialist, Heather McLean, who I think you've had on here before. We're looking at doing a project with a newer, I guess, dead stock disposal technique called above-ground burial. What it is, is it's a little bit of a hybrid between um, burial and, and composting. And the benefit of the system is it uh, requires a lot less management than a typical composting system, as well as requiring a lot less carbon. Um, so it can, it can be a really great option for producers who are maybe unable to access enough carbon for a typical compost scenario or in an emergency disposal situation, such as a, a barn fire or flood or supply disruption or something like that, where producers is, is unexpectedly left with a large number of dead stock to dispose of quickly. So um, we're looking at doing a, a demo project of this this fall. Um, we're going to start with, uh, with poultry. There's been a lot of work done with livestock in the U.S., but there hasn't really been a lot of work done with the poultry industry. So we're going to take a small site. Basically what it is, you, you dig a shallow trench, which is about about two feet deep and you fill it half full with a carbon source, ideally wood chips or, uh, or straw, and you place the carcasses in the trench and cover them over soil and leave it for a year, seed it over with something like winter rye to sort of hold the soil on top. There's been really good results that after a year, you typically see something like 95% decomposition over the year. So yeah, like I said, it's just another another option to, to to put in the toolbox for disposal where I know there's been some issues with, with rending and, and some of the other conventional methods that people have used for, for uh, dead stock disposal. So yeah, we're putting the proposal together for that now and, and kind of getting plans in place to hopefully do that this summer and, and maybe do another replication of it next spring. Yeah, good point there. And, you know, we we work with Heather quite a bit on the hog side and some of the work we do. And we've been actually doing a pile of work around emergency response uh, related to African swine fever. And, you know, we've been looking for appropriate disposal methods um, and above ground barrel has come up a few times. And I know she's been doing some work with the poultry industry. And for the, the listeners, we'll have a link in there. Uh, University of South Dakota has done some work specifically around above ground burial for hogs. And uh, it's, a, it's a good hour's watch uh, to learn a little bit more about it at a high level. I also just want to mention that the Federation over the last, in the last year has partnered with the Canadian Forward to Grassland Association on an online habitat management tool. That was part of a, a national project that CFGA got funding for to implement this tool across the country. But uh, Nova Scotia, Manitoba, and Saskatchewan were the first three provinces to try to develop this tool and implement it in their province. So we were lucky, and I guess we were chosen 
partially based on the, the progress we have made on some of the other SARPEL. SARPEL is a species at risk partnerships on agricultural lands funding that we've gotten from Environment Canada. But the new tool that Cedric and, and our group is working on is it will allow farmers to basically go online, put in their kind of a PID for the property, and then it do a brief site description, kind of the habitat features around your property, and it will outline some of the uh, habitats that are valuable for species at risk so, and just other species in general. So it is a tool that we are looking to implement into the EFP program. Uh, we're just kind of beta testing it here now to see how it's going to work. And then uh, once we get the kinks worked out of it, we'll be rolling it out to producers here later in the year. Thomas had mentioned the, the SARPAL funding, and I just touched on it there as well, but I just got an email yesterday saying that uh, we've been been approved for two more years of funding through the SARPAL program. So that's Environment Climate Change Canada funding to work towards implementing best management practices on farms for species at risk. So our last project kind of got sidetracked a little bit with COVID. We didn't get to do as many of those uh, kind of on-farm demonstrations as we had hoped to do, but we're hoping to pick up where we left off and, and incorporate that into the program here in the next couple of years as well. So for anyone interested on the species of risk side of things, if they're looking to do some demos on their properties, uh, please get in touch with us. Yeah, guys. So, um, you know, one of the things I think I appreciate about the EFP program and, and my limited knowledge of it uh, and my uh, limited knowledge of the egg environmental program is, you know, how you folks are helping farmers not only monitor what they're doing on farm, but positioning them for success in the future related to agro environmental uh, solutions. So uh, with that, if we have any of our list listeners that want to get a hold of you, uh, how do they find out about you or, or your programs? For the environmental farm plan, we just updated our website here not that long ago. So it's just uh, www.nsefp.ca. There's some buttons on the front page there. So if you want to sign up for a new EFP or if you already have your EFP and you want to uh, contact us for a follow-up, there's a couple of forms there you can fill out. We've also created a environmental guide for Nova Scotia farms. So that's something else probably could have talked about earlier, but we produced that in the last year. It basically took a lot of the content that was in the individual farms over the last 20 years and and put that in just a standalone document that's open to the public there now. So it provides just general information and resources for producers or body groups or just uh, private individuals that, that want to know how to, to go about addressing environmental issues on their property. And we're looking to keep that kind of updated with new content every year as well. But no, go to the website. There's information there for Corey Roberts and myself, and, and you can find our email or just shoot us a text. All our information is there. Yeah, and if anyone wants to learn about the Nova Scotia Agri-Environmental Program, we have a, a new website up and running. It's uh, nsaep.ca, and that gives an overview of the program, and it will kind of direct you to the perennial page or the EFP page, um, depending on what you're looking for. And on the perennial website as well, under the production information pages, um, we also have a part there dedicated to agri-environmental resources. So any of the new resources that are updated or developed under this program, um, there's links to our webinars and a few other things there and that's available on the perennial website. So with that, gents, I definitely want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to talk with us today uh, and looking forward where we can connect and uh, maybe provide some uh, learning opportunities for our listeners and our stakeholders in the future. Thank you very much, Brad. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Don't want to miss any future episodes? Subscribe to a Maritime Acast today through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform. 
This concludes another episode of Maritime AgCast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri-Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah Dahl-Anderson of archesaudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes. Mm-hmm.